This morning we're going to continue with the longest prayer. I think it was kind of comical last week that we started talking about the longest prayer and I didn't have enough time to finish it in one service. I thought that was funny. We said last week that Jesus broke this prayer into three sections. This was in John chapter 17. The first portion of that prayer was Jesus praying for himself. The second part of the prayer was uh, praying for the remaining disciples. There was 11 of them. And then comes the longest part. He literally prayed for you and I some 2,000 years before we were even born. I said last week that when Jesus prayed for himself, he was praying that God would be glorified through him and that people would recognize that and then that he would be glorified, Jesus would be glorified by receiving his rightful place back in heaven. He laid down his godness, if you will, his his godly character, his, his, his divinity to become a man and he accomplished the task that God sent him here to do. That was to pay the price, very much like a veteran, paid the price. Jesus paid the price for our salvation. And, and in paying that price, completing that, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished, it's accomplished. He was praying that he would be glorified, placed back into heaven with God. He prayed for his remaining disciples that God would keep them and care for him, care for them, and that they would be sanctified. You remember last week I talked about being sanctified, what it means to be sanctified. That's not just a religious thing, but it means to actually accomplish that thing that it was set forth to do. The apostles were sanctified. Literally, you and I have what's known as the New Testament in the Bible because the apostles did what God had called them to do, what he set them apart to do. When Jesus called Matthew, who was a tax collector, he knew that he was calling Matthew, and if Matthew actually did what he was set aside to do, now this is James, he had something else to do, but, but Matthew, if Matthew actually did what he was set aside to do, he wrote the book of Matthew, and Mark, and Luke, and John, all these apostles that followed Jesus, their sanctification was that they, they did what they were set aside to do, what they were called to do. And in this case, not only did they live their lives, but they wrote a major part of the New Testament. And then finally, the longest part is he prays for us. He's some 2,000 years in advance of us even being here, Jesus prayed. And I'll, we'll read that in just a minute. I'm going to ask you a question and I don't want you to answer it. I maybe just want it to be something that floats around in your head while I'm preaching today and maybe it will continue to float around in your head. Please don't raise your hand. Don't answer it in any way. But I would ask... How many of you want to serve the Lord? Now, I know that many of you would, would jump up and say, well, yeah, hook me up. Some might say, I'm kind of new to this whole God thing. I don't even know what that means. Some might say, you know what? I've not had a very good church experience. I don't really think I want to serve God. Others would say, well, I, you know, I, I, I think so. I mean, who wouldn't want to do what God 
would have us to do. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was a young disciple, a young follower of Paul. Paul was a follower of Christ. Paul writes to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You've received this grace of Jesus. Be strong in that. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of my witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, he's saying, listen, you've heard me teach many things. I want you to take those things, find qualified people, and trust those things to them so that they can teach them as well. Join with me, then Paul says, join with me in suffering. Our sign-up sheet just probably got just a little bit shorter. Like a good soldier of Christ, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. Put that into your Christian walk. Think about that in relationship to your Christian walk. But rather tries to please his commanding officer. No one serves as a soldier. Paul says, join with me in suffering. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll find some of the suffering that Christ went or that Paul went through. Paul was shipwrecked several times, I think three times. He was beaten with rods at, at a time. He was, he was thrown out of the city, hauled out thrown out of the city is dead uh, came back a little bit later and preached that'll do something for your testimony um, he, he, was, he was beaten he was imprisoned for years at a time he says join me in that suffering oh by the way don't get yourself tangled up in all the stuff that goes on around you in the world a good soldier if you're going to be a soldier you're going to follow after your commander you're going to try and please your commander and when we read something like that I say you know what I'm not so sure just how much I want to follow God What if there are struggles? Do you believe that Christians have struggles? So the second half of this sermon lands on Veterans Day and we're talking about being a soldier for Christ. And he says a good soldier doesn't get wrapped up in the affairs of the world. Can you imagine what happens if you have a soldier who's supposed to be out in a, in a uh, battle arena, he's supposed to be in an, in an area of combat and decides instead he wants to, uh, you know, start a little business over there. Well, that's not really a very good soldier at that point, is he? He says, if you want to take this, this relationship with Christ seriously, it takes a dedication. Jesus had lots of followers. You can read throughout his ministry. At one point, he fed 5,000 men not including women and children, and so it's estimated there's 15 to 20,000 people there, and yet when he died on the cross, he died alone. Even his closest disciples, we now consider the apostles, those people left him. Peter denied him. I don't know who you're talking about. I'm not following. I don't have no idea who you're talking about. To the point that he actually cusses out a little 12-year-old girl. You can read about it. And the Bible says that the further we go through history, the follow, when we get closer to the end of time, when we get closer to the time when Jesus is going to come back, there are going to be more and more people that fall away. As a, as a matter of fact, uh, it was described as the hearts of many will wax cold. So the closer we get to that time when Jesus is coming back, we're going to find people kind of going off of their own way. So in this final 
portion of this prayer, Jesus is praying for all believers who choose to follow him. In verse 20, John chapter 17, in verse 20, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, speaking of the 11 apostles that were there, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, through their message. I want you to hang on to that for a minute. Through whose message? Jesus didn't say, I want you, I'm gonna pray for those who believe in my message, did he? He said, I'm gonna pray for those who believe in their message, the apostolic message, the message that the apostles wrote, their, their books, their writings, their teachings, the New Testament. He's like, I'm praying for everybody who's gonna believe their messages. That literally, folks, means millions and millions of people through the last two centuries, the last 2,000 years. That's what he prayed for. And remember I said last week that when Jesus began prayed for us here, that's not the first time he prayed for us, and it's not the last time he prayed for us. He was going in as a high priest of all high priests. The, the high priest's job in this day was to, to go and pray and make sacrifices for Israel because Israel was separated from God. So he would go in and, and pray that their sins would be covered for another year, would be atoned for for another year. And Jesus is going to pour out his blood as the perfect sacrifice. He knows that. He's know, he knows he's headed to the cross. He is perfectly sinless. So he knows that when he's on the cross, he's going to pour out his blood as a sacrifice for you and I. But see, the the high priest had to go every year and make a sacrifice. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Now there have many been many of those priests since the death since death prevented them. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in the office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Aren't you glad that we don't just have to get saved? partially aren't you glad that we don't have to worry about well am i making it to heaven or am i not making it to heaven i mean you know it's been like a a good day it's been a good month but last month was kind of bad and i'm not sure what next month is going to be jesus saves completely one translation says from the uttermost to the uttermost he saves completely because he is alive Therefore, he is able to completely save those who, God through, uh, those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need. In other words, you and I have no way to go before the Father, but because Jesus is always alive and because he paid the price, he's always making intercession and making accommodation for our failures. Anybody here have any failures? Let's, let's not call them failures. Anybody here ever sin? Yeah, well, all right. The longer we wait, the more people raise their hand. Yeah, Levi's back there going, me, it's me. He's 11, yeah, he's 12, 13, 14, I don't know. He's waving it off, man. It's me. How many of you have, boy, you might not want to raise your hand. How many of you sinned after you accepted Jesus? Right? We need someone who's still making intercession. The price has been paid. The price has been paid. But what do you think? I don't know if you ever thought about this. What do you think Jesus is praying about for you and me? 
he ever he lives to ever make intercession for us. He never stops praying for us. Have you ever thought about what he what he's praying for? Such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy and blameless and pure and set apart from sinners and exalted above the heaven. Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifice day after day for his own sin and then for the sins of other people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Jesus not only prayed for us 2,000 years ago as those who would believe in the teachings of the apostles, but he prays for us daily. I think there's a tension that takes place in the life of a believer. There's a, there's a you imagine like stretching a rubber band, like there's a, there's a tension that happens. We have the teachings of the apostles. All throughout the New Testament, we have teachings of the apostles. They tell us to abstain from sin. They tell us to stay away from sin. They tell us to do all kinds of things. In, uh, in uh, Romans, I don't have the Bible verse, just listen. In Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, if you've accepted Christ, you're a brother, you're a sister, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, this is your reasonable service. Because of the price that God paid for us, it's reasonable for us to lay down our own wants, our own desires, our own thought, the things that we want. Lay down. Like, lay them down. Like, surrender them. Lay them down. Give it up. And Paul says, that's reasonable. Because Jesus, now there's a camera shot. If you got it, there's a camera. It's right down on the preacher. Jesus said it's reasonable for you to take everything that you want, all of your hopes and your desires and your dreams and your aspirations and everything that you got going for you and just lay it down, set it aside. It's reasonable because Christ paid the price for you. He redeemed you from hell. He redeemed us from separation from him. He brought us back. He paid that price. So it's reasonable. So there's this tension that goes on in our lives. I think that's part of what Christ is paying for. The Bible says that Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What's he trying to steal? He's trying to steal truth. He's trying to steal hope. He's trying to steal peace. He's trying to steal joy. Have you ever noticed when you got turmoil going in your life, the first thing that's gone is your peace. First thing that's gone is your peace. You got no peace. Your, your guts are just, I've had people come to me, my, my, my stomach's just rolling. Well, was it what you ate in the last half hour at a gas station or is this something else? No, no, no. It's just it's like there's just turmoil. Well, what's going on? The enemy has stolen your peace. He's stolen your joy. And he's done that by taking away truth. The Bible says you should know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Now we're, we're scrambling. Now we've got something going on inside of there. The Apostle Paul. 
The Apostle Paul said, there are things that I, that I, 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 I want to do, but I don't do them. And then there are those things that I really don't want to do, and I find myself doing those things. Gah! He doesn't add that. Gah! But you hear it. You said, do you ever do that yourself? It's like, ah, I'm stuck in this stupid habit. I, didn't, I said I wasn't going to do that ever again. And then you've got one of those prayers. You know those prayers. Oh, God. Oh, God, if you don't tell anybody, I promise I'll never do it again. Yeah, I'm not the only one who's prayed that. Oh, God, don't tell anyone. John goes on and he says, or Jesus goes on in John chapter 21, and as he's praying for us, then he prays that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's saying, I want the believers to walk in unity that just like I'm in you, God, and you're in me, that I could be in them and they would be in me and we would have this unity. I've been to different places in the world. I've been to Mexico. I've been to Haiti. And you make these instant connections with people, instantly. It's like you know there's something deep inside of them that's Jesus. I can't even talk the same language. But I know, I sense Christ. And then one time, I, uh, when I was in the Institute of Ministry up at Strawberry Lake, we came... Uh, piled in the back of a truck and came to Hardy's one night just to get away from the cantina. Sorry, Barry, but we did. We came piled into town and, and just get a get Hardy's. And, and so I get back out and pile in the truck. There was a little, man, there must have been 10 of us. I was sitting in the back of the truck and I, I'm gonna, gonna eat my big roast beef and I get down to the bottom of the bag and there's a napkin in there and on the napkin is a note written by the waitress and it says, I'm a believer too. You could put her in a lineup. I wouldn't be able to tell you who it was. But she sensed Christ in us when I ordered a hot ham and cheese or a big roast beef, whichever it was, probably a big roast beef. But she sensed Christ in us. I'm a believer too. I'm like, whoa, what just happened? Jesus said that all of them may be one. So here's that, here's that tension Here's that tension. Jesus is praying for unity, and yet not everybody's going to go the same direction. Right? I've been part of churches trying to do, you know, big evangelistic things together. Churches trying to do things together. It's, it's not going to happen. You might get a few, but we're not going to get everybody in church that's all going to do the same thing together. It's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean that we can't have Christ just because we're doing different things. So there's this, there's this, the other part of the tension is that we know that God wants change and transformation in our lives. He doesn't want me walking down the road doing the same old junk that I used to do 20 years ago. He doesn't want me that way. He wants change and transformation in my life. So I see friends and I think they need transformation in their life and so I want to bring them along but Jesus just got done telling you a new commandment I have that you love one another. So this tension is how do we bring people along, get them in relationship with God, walking in unity, and not offend them by going off and doing something that we want to do. Well, you do it by laying down your life. I had a conversation, a phone call this week. And I'll just, I just two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I felt like the Lord 
impressed on my heart that I needed to call Scott Eiley. Now, Scott and I have not been, he isn't staring daggers at me. We, we talk and chat, there's nothing going on. But I felt like the Lord impressed on me that I needed to call Scott Eiley. And I had half a dozen things going on, and I had a whole list of excuses why I didn't do it, and I didn't do it. And right after that, actually, Scott texted me, hey, I'm looking for the phone number for so-and-so, and I texted it back, and I didn't even talk to him again about it. And then Friday, I think it was Friday, I was driving and I felt like the Lord said, I told you to give Scott Eiley a call. Give Scott Eiley a call. And I thought, well, I'm driving. I'm not supposed to be... List of excuses again. You know, God, I got several things to do. And I felt like the Lord said, you're driving. You got to just do it. So I called Scott. And again, no struggles going on, but, but Celebrate Recovery was, was stopping and we're starting something else. Scott's been involved in Celebrate Recovery and I felt like I just need to communicate from my heart what's going on. And, and Scott was at the end of it, he said, oh, Pastor, I just really appreciate you giving me a call. I didn't really know what was happening, what transpired. It's good to have that information. It's good to have that information. And I felt like there was a bridge that was restored before it was even broken. Does that make sense? That God wants us to love one another. And here's the deal, folks. Here's the deal. That was one of three conversations that I had this week with people. God puts this thing in our heart and he's like, I want you to bring others along. I want you to communicate. I want you to have this conversation and I want you to do it in love. Care for them enough that you're willing to have a, a, a true conversation. I, I, I spoke with somebody else and I said, look, I, I, I'm not sure, but I'm kind of wondering if, if, if you're offended, if I've offended you. Ding, 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 ding. Yep, I had offended. And so I'm, try to apologize and repent and, and bring healing. God wants, to, wants us to walk in unity. That's the kind of unity that I think God is, is talking about. He wants us to lay down our lives. Good night. If you've got an idea about the way something should go and it doesn't go that way, who cares? Lay it down. My relationship with, with Jim Hokinson is far more important. It's far more important than I don't know, where we go fishing, where we don't go fishing, if we go hunting, then if he says this or says that. Yeah, our relationships, he's saying, I want you to walk in unity. Well, did you go to that special meeting? No, oh, oh, here's one, here's one. I went to a football game, and Jim never goes to football games. So he could pick, oh, pastor, you're missing church to go to a football game. Oh, that's so spiritual. We haven't ever really had that conversation, but I know we could. Right? Well, lay it down. Who cares? Our relationship is more important than hanging on to this thing. Boy, I really like loud music. I like quiet music. You know what? Lay it down. Jesus is praying that the church would be unified, and in that unity, there's nothing worse. There'd be nothing worse. Nothing worse. Nothing worse. And Jim and I standing in, in the convenience store talking and you know people recognize hey you two know each other yeah yeah he goes to my church my man he's an idiot oh my goodness you when when we're not in church there's no unity there there's no unity it's fake oh did i just say that that's not in my notes 
it's false. Think about that. We gather together in the same place and we all kind of look alike. But if there's any differences, we're not really that spiritual. (laughs) And there's this kind of false brotherhood that's going on. And Jesus is praying for us that we would have real unity in our hearts. Does that mean if Tina wants to go out and party sometime and, and uh, you know, I should go along with her and do that? And, and we, No, 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 no. doesn't mean we're all going to do everything the same and she's not going to be partying anyhow. But it doesn't mean we're going to go down that road in that direction just because, just because we're, you know, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got to do everything together. That's not what it means, especially if it's wrong. If anything, I should try and bring her back and say, hey, hey, hey. But do it out of love. Not out of guilt. I can't believe you did that again. I cannot believe. Good, didn't we talk about this? You're smarter than that. You know. We're good, right? Okay. I'll hug her afterwards. It's all good. But you know, we do that. Woo. We do that almost in the name of God like we hold up our righteousness like you're better than that. And sometimes we need to call people to account. But man, we've got to do it with a heart of love. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. We don't get to get all sloppy agape and let people do everything. We, we, want, to, we, want, to, we want to love people back into relationship with God. I think that's what Jesus is praying about. Because he goes on and he says in verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me. Okay, I, Jesus in us, inside of Jesus, God is in Jesus. I in them, you in me, so that they may, may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and that I have loved them even as you have loved me. I'm telling you what, folks. Jesus had, he, he had more harsh words for the religious leaders of his day than he ever did for a sinner. Right? More harsh words. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery. What does that tell you? Caught in the act of adultery gets brought before him, and they're wanting to stone her. All the religious leaders are wanting to throw rocks at her and kill her. And Jesus starts writing something in the sand. We don't know what. But then he says, you who's not sinned, whoever you are, you go ahead and cast the first stone. Everybody walks away. And what's Jesus' words to her? And you shouldn't do that. Don't do that. You're going to go to hell if you keep doing that. Nope. His words to her was, go and sin no more. That's it. That's all he said, go and sin no more. John the Baptist, on the other hand, called the religious leaders a brood of vipers. What did that tell you? Jesus came down far harder on the Pharisees, on the religious people who didn't have God in them. But they had this form of religion. The tension, I think, that Jesus is praying for, for us is that we live in a fallen world. Scripture says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. 
Jesus prayed for his disciples, and he said, God, I'm not asking you to remove them from the world, but I'm asking you to use them right there where they're at. Sanctify them, set them apart. So here's my question. At the end of the day, I've gone over my time, but here's my question. When Jesus prayed for the apostles to be sanctified, he was praying that they would accomplish the purpose which they had been saved for. They've begun to follow me. They've come into relationship with me. God, you've given them to me. I'm giving them back to you. They're in relationship with us. I'm praying that you would sanctify them, that word sanctify again, that they would accomplish that purpose that they were sanctified, they were set aside for. My question is this, what does that look like in your life? What is the thing that God has set you aside to do? If your life at the end, when you stand before God, God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is it you, you've been sanctified. If Jesus is praying for you to be sanctified. What does that look like? How does it line up with the, the teaching of the apostles? How does it line up with the love that Christ told us we're supposed to have for one another? How does that line up with him being in us, God being in him, us walking in unity? What does that look like? That should be a challenge for each one of us. Maybe it's that you're the best real estate agent in town and every time you make a sale, you make a connection, every time there's a connection, that there's Christ is, is, is uh, witness. Maybe it's, it's being the best gas station manager. Maybe it's being the best, uh, 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 having many rental properties. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is. I'm not saying that everybody's gonna be a preacher. But maybe... Every time you're, you're nurse with somebody, you're the doctor of somebody, they walk away knowing, knowing there's a confidence in God that has come to. What does sanctification look like? Being set apart, being accomplishing what God would have you to be. What does that look like in your life? Because I believe that's what Jesus is praying for for each one of us. It doesn't mean you look around, there's gonna be 72 preachers next week. That's not what it means. And yet, Maybe it does, because maybe your life preaches every time somebody runs into you. Maybe your life preaches every time somebody runs into you. Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for each person who's here. Lord, we're looking at honoring vets, and according to your word, each one of us, in a way, is a vet. We're in a war. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. The Bible actually talks about schemes of the enemy. The enemy is plotting and scheming, would love to destroy unity in this church and every church. Would love to destroy unity between churches. We'd have nothing in common, we'll have nothing to do with them. God, there is there's hope in the body of Christ that we could walk in a unity And that because of that unity, because of our relationship with you, people would recognize you through us. Not that there's anything that we have, but that they would recognize you through us. I pray for each person here. I pray, God, that over the course of the next days and weeks and months, they would begin to recognize what a sanctified life looks like for them.
What is their purpose? Why did you create them? Why have you placed them here? What have you called them to do? I believe you're praying for that, God, for each one of us. Each one of us. Lord, that you'd be glorified. That you'd be glorified. And all that we do, I just say again, thank you for each person. Pray you'd work in our hearts. Work in our lives. Change us and transform us into your image that we might reflect who you are to the world around us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.